0: failure. The system failure. Ladies and gentlemen, Captain Norris here. We're now beginning our final descent into Los Angeles International Airport. I'm happy to tell you it's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. 72 degrees, six miles visibility, and winds out of the southwest at five miles an hour. Buckle up. We're almost home. I'll be putting on the fastened seatbelt sign now. We'll be on the ground in just a few minutes. Thank you so much for flying Oceanic Air. Hello, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 601, entitled X Part 1. This is the 104th episode of the series, and there are 17 to go. And before I start anything at all, I just want to take a moment to thank uh, Ian on Twitter, a.k.a. Zort70, uh he helped me spiff up the looking back at lost logo uh he helped bring it to a higher resolution uh in line with uh what those uh bosses at itunes require so thank you very much ian ian's a pal from the uh from the dearly departed alcatraz podcast uh and um he was a a loyal listener there and has has followed me uh followed me over to some of these other projects uh i will mention that uh you can see ian's work at cafepress.com slash zort z-o-r-t 70 uh he's got some cool t-shirts and other uh, uh logos and whatnot placed upon the uh the Cafe Press merchandise uh actually was just eyeing one up myself a uh lovely and uh witty doctor who uh t-shirt that he came up with so certainly big thanks to you ian for your help uh it's uh I, in the time that the podcast has been going on itunes has i think twice maybe three times up to the uh up to the, the requirement uh for for how big the picture needs to be so that it can fit with uh, the increasing resolutions that uh, all the different screens that we're using large and small uh those the resolutions that those screens have so big thanks to you ian also uh i suppose while i'm uh while i'm encouraging people to uh to patronize certain uh, businesses and whatnot or certain creators uh the season six uh, music that i have used after a lot of debate a lot of listening as well as uh some uh suggestions from both mighty tim on twitter and uh, of course dan Mulderlock, went with uh went with a movie source uh uh, that dan had suggested uh the new theme music uh from the john carter track of course by michael Giacchino, and uh the title because uh michael Giacchino loves his puns the title of this track i believe it's the second one i don't know if itunes open at the moment but the name of it is carter they come carter they fall get it you can all i'll pause so you can chuckle um, and actually, it is, uh, it's a, as is oftentimes the case when I've bought some of these tracks, uh, it, um, it's actually two different portions of it that I kind of splice together, which is always uh, fun, standing on the shoulders of Mr. Giacchino, and uh, kind of mixing and matching and, uh, and mashing, and uh, figuring out uh, kind of what suits my purpose, what suits the flow, for, for the way the podcast uh, is opened up. So with those uh, obligatory mentions out of the way, a a quick reminder to you all that you can share feedback by saying hello to me on Twitter, where I am Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And, of course, you can uh, call the listener line, 732-707-1815. And with that... Let's now get into the Wikipedia summary for this episode, LAX Part 1. In the 2004 Flash Sideways timeline, uh, we start on Oceanic Flight 815, in which the Survivor's attempt to change the future has apparently successfully averted the crash. The island is now shown to be at the bottom of the ocean, and most of the character's situations remain the same. Kate is still being transported in the custody of Marshal Edward Mars. Dr. Jack Shepard is transporting his deceased father, apparently. And uh, John Locke is still paralyzed. However, there are some differences as well. Boone Carlisle is returning to Los Angeles without his stepsister. Hurley Hugo Reyes claims to be the luckiest man alive. And Locke claims to, her to have participated in his walkabout. Uh, side note. Wikipedia, Locke claims it, but that's not different. He would have claimed it anyway, because, yeah. Anyhow, Desmond is a passenger, and Rose Henderson reassures Jack while experiencing turbulence. During the flight, Jack is called upon to save Charlie Pace, who has as- asphyxiated while attempting to swallow a packet of heroin. Jack, with the help of Said Jarrah, resuscitates him. Charlie is arrested for drug possession. Jack also encounters Desmond, however, he's nowhere to be seen plane lands. In the 2007 portion of the storyline, in the second timeline, the events directly follow those of the incident. Jack, Kate, Hurley, Saeed Jin, Juliet, Sawyer, and Miles have been returned to the present at the site of the Dharma Initiative Swan Station immediately after Ben has killed Jacob. Sawyer is angered by the prospect of Juliet's death. Uh, and the idea that it was meaningless And engages in a fight with Jack However Juliet is alive Underneath the remains of the station The survivors eventually free Juliet But she dies soon after Moments before she can tell Sawyer Something important Sawyer blames Jack Hurley tends to Said, Who has been mortally wounded by a gunshot Jacob appears to Hurley And explains that he, Jacob Has been killed And that Hurley must take Said To the other's temple In order to heal him you must also bring the guitar case that Jacob previously gave him, with that the survivors split up the majority going to the temple while Sawyer and Miles stay behind to bury Juliet. Sawyer forces Miles to use his medium skills to talk to Juliet. Miles relays her message. it worked, which leaves Sawyer confused inside the pedestal of the statue. The man in black who has taken the form of Locke sends Ben to get Richard Albert. Richard, however, refuses to go inside and instead shows Locke's body to Ben. Bram and his team from Flight 316 enter the statue with Ben. The man in black transforms into the smoke monster and easily kills Bram and his men, but spares Ben. And with that, we will now get into my thoughts about the episode. And I'll mention uh, that. I mean, my goodness, what a what a start to things. And, you know... Uh, what i did with this episode obviously we're just doing 601 tonight but i did watch 601 and 602 together uh as i did with the season five finale uh, i've found that um if my memory isn't great on a particular episode and they're setting something up i'll say oh i wonder if when they you know when they address this and it's actually just setting it up for the second hour it's a two-hour long episode so uh that certainly was an interesting viewing experience. Also, ton of clips in this in this episode. Next week's episode, not so many clips, as I note partway through the notes. There, it's just it certainly works as a two-hour episode, but the two halves uh, have a, a markedly different flavor. Anyhow, the episode starts with a quick recap of well, basically everything good and amazing and important from season five. It's certainly welcome if you've been off of Lost for the last nine or ten months. But hopefully, as the first-time viewers out there, hopefully this isn't the first time you've learned about Juliet dying. Um, And at that moment, it's just when all this seems to be the most superfluous recap. With what is kind of an extended fade to white, uh, things are suddenly different, uh, the sound echoing, fading, and then the most familiar, slightly different, jaw-dropping start to the season is underway. So how's the drink? Uh, it's good. (laughs) That's not a very strong reaction. Well, it's it's not a very strong drink. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. No, we are secret. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. Please return to your seats. It's normal. My husband said the planes want to stay in the air. (sighs) Sounds like a smart man. Be sure and tell him that when he gets back from the bathroom. Well, I'll keep you company until he does. Don't worry. And then it just goes away. It's a tremendous, unspeakable notion to things that it actually worked, that they stopped the crash, that the show has dared to do the worst thing that a show can do, pull a saint elsewhere and erase everything that you've cared about, everything that you've appreciated in the show. Then, at this point, the show starts the first of many hints that things aren't as they should be. Jack goes to the bathroom and sees an errant cut on his neck. Right before that, I should mention, there was a wide shot of many seated passengers. It's meant to be paused, I think. We see sun reading, Locke seated, even Froger asleep behind a sleep mask. A presumed gin is blocked, and we can't see the left side of the plane where Hurley, Sawyer, Boone, and Shannon would be, or might be. Then at this point, things go very, very wrong. At least, very not, as they should be. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry, mate. Is this your seat? The stewardess said it was empty. No, no, I'm at the window. All oh, right. So, mate, do you might if I stay here? It's just the fellow next to me's been snoring ever since we took off from Sydney. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thanks, brother. Something wrong? No, no, you just. <sighs> do I know you from somewhere? <laughs> well, I'm not sure. Desmond. Jack. Nice to meet you, Jack. Or to see you again. <laughs> the answer is, of course. The thing that is different, it is our Christ figure. Right there. He's seeing Jack again. Whoever the show wisely wisely does not ponder. Uh, or actually rather let us ponder either uh, as the camera goes out the window and frankly cheats it goes down, down, down into the sea to the submerged island with familiar Dharma houses and the playground and the shark even the shark with the Dharma tattoo and it finally ends of course at the errant statue foot setting up a, a season of confusion and questions and uh, of course giving Big direction to where uh to where things are headed now, I would like to just take a moment to discuss why this camera choice, why this bit of story, the way the teaser act ends, why it's a bit of a cheat first of all, I think the question could be, is the island really there in this constructed reality um perhaps i mean i i I've never constructed a reality with all my my dead peers at least that I know of so. Uh, I can't say that there's any hard and fast rule. Conversely, to show the island there with all the island things, but there is no island, can they get away with it? In the nature of this constructed reality, which certainly in in what I know about philosophy and religion, I, I'm not aware of this sort of uh, constructed uh, form of afterlife. So again, there's no rule that they're breaking. The flip side is... To show the island underwater suggests that at some point between uh, the bomb going off and 2004, the island somehow was sunk. And then you get into this whole: well, there are Dharma houses there, so when I mean, could that that be? There's the shark, da da da, and there's kind of all this. Um, it's them repeating the Swan Hatch from season two. It's something for us to chew over and ponder about, and ultimately chase our tails. Uh, around, um, am I complaining? not particularly, certainly something I'm looking forward to tracking in this uh, in this season is the value of the flash sideways stories. uh certainly, at some point somewhere in these notes, I talk about the um their function to support the main story to have us further know. Uh, our characters better, just as the Flash Sideways did. Uh, so, are they supposed to be? Is the is the Flash Sideways world s- supposed to be this self-contained, entirely interesting, independently interesting storyline? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Uh, do we at times want it to be? Yes, because we think that it is a parallel universe and that. It's difficult to get our heads wrapped around. There's that, too. Anyhow, uh, with that... Uh, with that frankly confusing, uh, terrifying notion of the teaser act, they somehow have erased the, the first five seasons, the show that we've loved for all these years is gone, that there was no island adventure, and that sure enough, Lindelof and Cuse were full of it, and this season's the awful, terrible slide. Nonetheless, we're back to the end of the season again. And we start with Kate's eye opening. Ah, the return of the eye shot. And then there's clearly something not right uh, just from the outset there. But they, they so carefully kind of spell out or or feed out what's going on from the close-up to a wider shot, merely part of her face, her dirty face. And then there's that washed-out sound that tells us that there's something very wrong indeed. That they're still on the island. Now, the length of time that the show draws out that warped sound, including the errant and borderline, uh, yet quietly, painful buzz, that's Of course, a bit of a reminder, I think. It's actually a triumphant statement, as annoying as it is. It's a statement that the show is now completely in control of itself, despite the slowly declining ratings, despite network pressures. It's the sound that goes on too long, and it's the sound of the show asserting itself to the views uh, or, or asserting itself from the views of Lindloth and Q's above all else. There's, of course, the possibility that uh, Kate is somehow stuck in the past as we start to proceed along the narrative here, but at this point, the season starts to slowly unfold itself. And given that we're at the, uh, we're almost at the one quarter mark of this episode, of this hour, um, things do start going rather, uh, rather directly, albeit shockingly. We're back. Back where? Is that the construction site no that's the swan hatch after desmond blew it up guess we're not in 1977 huh you know there's times that i'm critical of the show uh, monkeying around to give direct exposition so that all of you at home can understand what's going on here no criticism they want to directly spell out without any question. And again, it's almost the show asserting itself beyond what the rules of, of uh, television would call for. Um, you could just kind of hint at it or whatever. Here they want to make it clear to everybody. They want there to be no debate when this episode ends. Uh, that, as Kate says, that they are back when they are where they are why why do they want that to be so clear because they want confusion on top of confusion it's so incredibly dramatically daring the show's intent at this point must have been for there to be racing theories and i mean at this point i mean here we are kate and miles the idea that some got back kate and miles and the just found sawyer all three of which had not yet been seen on 815 um it's a good theory it lasts for about five seconds but i think that we're just we're meant to be ah well i can't wait to have the water cooler discussion the online discussion etc that there are these two par- you know two well uh, parallel i mean that is indeed what the show is going for but some people some people made it and some people didn't how long does that last as i said a handful of seconds because we get the maddening realization that that can't be either Because the post-hatch explosion island is normal for Kate. But we have seen it underwater as 815 presumably flew over it uh, at the end of the teaser act. It's just this wonderful sandcastle that they build up and then knock down. Of course, Kate can't be there if it's underwater years previous in 2004 or can it somehow be underwater and then but how did kate get there kate got there in 2004 when the plane crashed it's just this wonderful confusing mess that when you say it out loud and you start to say the problem is that these are parallel and happening concurrently or granted we're at a 2007 bit with kate and 2004 bit where the plane flies over however the events preceding kate's presence there run concurrent to the the first flash sideways scene that we saw it's at that moment where you can start to say wait the problem is that they run concurrently if only we could separate them from being um frankly from being parallel and returning to something that the show has pushed time and time and time again a linear storyline yes there have been these flashbacks back and forth and part of the fun is to say what's the deal with kate's playing in the thing we're going to see a flashback about that but at the end of the day there still is the one superseding timeline whatever happened happened and the show has given us these guideposts and and then asks us to ignore them and it's it's just it's wonderful it's such a wonderful start to the season and of course, if all of all that pondering that can barely be going on when you're first viewing it, your mind is exploding. That's not enough because Kate then sees the unconscious Sawyer, a clearly lit Sawyer, and then next to him she sees someone else. In a split second, I'm sure the function is supposed to be for first-time viewers for their minds to scream that this someone else cannot be Jack because we saw that it worked then just like that, Kate is waking up Jack. It's incredible pacing. The show literally asks you to run along with it and then goes faster. Same thing here. The show does not let us linger. There's a Jack-Sawyer fight that immediately breaks out with Sawyer raging at the very obvious and the very confusing that this did not work. This is not LAX. Nothing is different. It feeds the first of these wonderfully confusing fantastic episodes uh, that we have this season and it's just it's here they are stable in the familiar territory and for we the audience the 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 floor is shattering beneath us and on top of that this whole scene concludes with something new uh, a new sound for a new set of stories for first-time viewers of course it's designed to be familiar yet unfamiliar and also to stick in your ear as as something that you can't quite place for me for you i'm sure it was goosebumpy. this is in fact re-watching this episode uh for the podcast it was the first time that i've heard the ajira jet flying overhead since the series finale and it was just this this really kind of incredible moment of going full circle here we are last season here we are with this pesky sound that it's different because it's different and it's this different weird story thing and then to find out with 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 the the minutes left to the series as they as they fall out of our hands at the end of the at the end of the show to to have that sound placed as the last thing jack hears the bridge that our you know, our like it or not our hero um the bridge from this story to the next story for everyone else the flash sideways death and, and the great beyond after that just brilliant 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 anyhow we now have uh, gone to uh into the flash sideways where jack's off to the airplane bathroom and meets the marshal Uh, then Kate uh, who bumps into him Uh, and at this point the story is racing Kate seemingly fiddling with something back at her seat Marshall Mars being bumped into by Sawyer who of course is still smartly dressed in his episode one costume as are so many of these characters I mean the sun costume is so familiar the the whole sweater that she must keep buttoned up you add to it my goodness locks t-shirt uh locks button down short sleeve shirt that just looks incredibly crisp and new and not dirty and not blood covered and so on and so forth it's just um <laughs> it's a it's a tour de force of of the costume department um I wonder did they need to go out and rebuy these did they have a clean clean version never used i know that the saying uh in hollywood when it comes to costumes is one on the back one on the rack and one in the sack which is to say you're wearing one you have one in your trailer if you need to to change for whatever reason Uh, and then there's one back in i don't know wherever the sack is kept back in the costume department um which could be the you know the emergency one which could be the uh the one that you make you know make more copies of that kind of thing but my goodness it's just it's just so incredibly effective at any rate the pace uh oh i should also mention of course who do we see we see arts hitting up hurley to do the australian mr cluck's impression at this point the pace is absolutely meant to keep things breezy but the underlying current for first-time viewers the intention for for that audience that the the writers the the producers the show is speaking to uh at least the smarter portion of the bunch anyway is i think when we see hurley it's to wonder when did hurley start to own the chicken franchise we're now at a point where it's been so long since we've needed to flash back that the flashback story isn't quite at our fingertips the way it was and Just as the chronology of the show gets sorted out, as arts wanders away, we, of course, remembering that Hurley was rich when 815 crashed, even though we didn't know it yet. You see, we're returning to that memory of the crash. Hey, who's the nice, fun, chunky guy? Only to find out later, hey, he's the richest guy there. We didn't learn it in chronological order, so there's a little bit of a wait, what's going on? Um, With that, Sawyer uh, is told by Hurley that hurley is the luckiest man in the world and that nothing bad happens to him this is definitely not our everyone hates hugo and it's another clue of course that something isn't right it's these little these little burrs these little rough edges that they place in this otherwise sparkling uh flash sideways story this thing that we wish to see to see their happy return and uh there it is you saying, well that's not quite right and of course desmond couldn't be there and it's just these things that don't quite work but of course we are not left enough time to ponder it just as you're saying huh that's another thing that doesn't fit uh and what uh, was arts you know i didn't well, arts wasn't in the piled episode oh but of course he was there he just wasn't there there and we saw later episodes where he was getting on the plane there's all this stew going on to put people who weren't there in the first episode but whose characters were there having conversations that we imagine arts was having nonetheless right um although i don't even know if that would be true arts didn't know to out hurley but then arts was kind of a character coming in and out regardless maybe that's something uh, that that is meant to be different but arts recognizes him as the chicken guy this time anyhow there's hardly any time to to sit back and to ponder these things we get back to island hurley see what we're doing here it's a pattern that the show will continue with we went uh, you know jack island to jack flash sideways wander through the story end up with hurley hurley back to the island anyhow hurley is with the dying saeed Jin runs to the hatch site to get everyone who just in time uh, realize that there might also be a dying Juliet in the wreckage with that the story heads back to Saeed, who is quite bloody by the show's standards. It's a good bit of juice there. And uh he has a lovely, lovely little monologue about where he might go in death due to his many sins. Sins which, foreshadowing, foreshadowing, he will atone for in the sub toward the end of the season. Uh with that, there is further foreshadowing. This episode is 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 monumental in the things that it's setting up for the remaining 17 episodes Hurley hears someone out there and very very tellingly it's Jacob albeit of course spiritly Jacob but who does Jacob seek out first it is Hurley who will Jacob seek out last it is Hurley it's Jacob for whatever reason is drawn to him now of course he's drawn to him because he can see ghosts he's one of the two people who can blah 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 but who was that first connection offered to to hurley who was not forcibly pushed to get on a jira or who did not forcibly have his life tugged at here and there to change things to put him on the path of 815 uh, or 316 for that matter jacob it was jacob who just at the end said let me level with you you really are needed back at the island it's up to you here's a guitar case if you happen to come back." Anyhow this episode Jacob asks Hurley if he has a minute uh and i assume that by a minute he means you know if he has 2000 years to peacefully rule the island anyhow with that there's a flash sideways to one of the great epic epic moments of the premiere and epic because it wasn't intended to be this way and and it's it, it, they they go from a negative to a positive to something to an echo that gets resolved towards the end of the series it's it's incredibly moving the 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 error that's about to occur uh or, or or the disappointment that must have occurred for the writers and producers we have Locke seated three seats away from Boone the fact that there's a snoozy, sleeping, uh, sleep-masked Frogert between them is is of no consequence other than a chuckle. Now, who would we expect in that empty seat? Well, apparently they desperately wanted Maggie Grace's Shannon to be there, but her busy movie schedule just did not allow. So they have this whole absence written away as Boone is un- unable to bring her back. It is, however, it is a gift a gift for the show that she was not able to make it to the point that I looked in multiple points on Wikipedia and Lostpedia to see if the story of her being unavailable was in fact a lie because this is the biggest rough edge of, the, uh, of this first Flash Sideways. It sticks in our craw that we're able to get back these characters all these characters who we know who we love who should be there from the first episode characters who weren't even there bernard who would have been there if not for you know his uh his uh, bowels interceding it's as it should be in that portion of the cabin except for her the fact that she returns later at the end of the series is is incredibly moving the fact that we've wanted it since this moment makes it even more incredibly moving yes we can appreciate that some of the guest actors the arts and the frogrits of the world are there i'll talk in a moment about ian Summerholder and his his generosity but the fact that she isn't there is and just this incredible gift of fate to the show because we want to see her we want to be brought back to 2004 when this journey started and she's not there and then when she shows up towards the end of the series it's it's more moving than it would have been uh to just be say oh they brought boone back again that's cool oh hey look at this hey you know we're about to have the charlie reveal in a bit incredibly moving as well the fact that she's the one that's missing is is wonderful it's wonderful not in not their intention For her not to be there. But it's wonderful nonetheless. That said, the fact that Ian Somerhalder is there. I know I've said it before. I'll say it again. The fact that this guy was always willing to return from a show that fired him after 16 episodes. That fired him because it was the right thing to do story-wise. Well, he's an artist. I'm sure he can say, oh, I'm glad it was the right thing. You know what? He also as the story has been told, he had just bought a house the week before. Um, because he the ratings were so good and whatnot, they clearly were going to be there at least for the end of the season, if not future seasons. The generosity of this guy. In fact, I, I don't follow him on Twitter, but the last time uh, I saw him... Uh, I'll type him in here. Um, the last time I checked, his his Twitter profile even made reference to um to having been on lost all these years later in fact i'm just clicking now as we shows aliveness. yes dead guy on lost now undead on the vampire uh, diaries still happily contemplating man's uh, existential dilemma i mean the fact that he puts uh you know he he puts first that he was on a show that uh that he has not been on since 2005 it shows his generosity it shows his kindness it shows that he gets the the sacrifice that was uh, asked of him as a as a as a working actor and um he's always apparently willing to return for this stuff and i of course don't mean that as a slam against mackie grace if she was previously booked to do her job somewhere else to work her craft so be it the fact that he was available the fact that they worked it out with with vampire diaries and a show i must admit i've not seen a second of but it's just it's just it's nice it's nice i'm reminded of some statement maybe it was said about about ian home by ian mckellen i don't quite remember but just the idea that or maybe it was christopher lee talking about ian mckellen anyhow that the word nice has kind of lost its meaning that's just kind of something that you say oh he's nice it is genuinely deeply nice that Ian Somerhalder always returns. And I'm sure he's, you know, you you could probably say, oh, I'm sure he's paid well, blah, blah, blah. He gets to get flown out to Hawaii. He also could just say, sorry, screw you. You you killed me off. I came out a few times to, you know, get a little bit more money. Sorry, go finish your show without me. No, there he is with with all these people again. It's absolutely wonderful. That (laughs) speechifying over. The scene ends with Boone saying uh, that the, uh, he, he's had this conversation with uh, with uh, uh, Locke. If the plane goes down, he'll stick with Locke. This is, of course, a dark joke that all these years later, whether you want to say 2010 or whether you want to say when this is being recorded and you're listening to it, I would argue it's a dark joke that is not meant to be funny. It's not meant to be felt funny. His death is still still too serious a thing he was the great character that showed us that this show can kill somebody and they're never coming back except for the flash sideways where they do except for when they come as ghosts and flashbacks and all that of course but that that death is a very real possibility whereas on so many other shows it isn't anyhow with that we go from happy sideways lock to smoky lock fresh from jacob's kill with no jacob body in the fire um the story then allows us a great return uh, to outside the statue even with you know even with not having felt the long season break on my rewatch likely on your rewatch it's just great to kind of be back there again there really is a sense that somehow time has gone by we see richard and bram and alana and son and frank this point, Ben wanders out, arms crossed, wonderfully to hide his bloody shirt, and uh, he tells Richard that John wants to see him. And there's this wonderful little capper to end the act. Richard drags Ben to Locke's dead body, and it's a really nice reminder of where things are at. It's not the show needing to monologue to remind people way back when, or to tell new viewers that something is up. It's just here it is. Live guy in there, dead guy here, act break. And indeed, after the act break, the swan pit is being pulled apart uh, to hopefully find Juliet. And there's there's a handy little bit of story drama at this point. They can't move the metal, so Jin is sent to get the van. Uh, the very van to which the story returns uh as Hurley the, the whole Hurley Jacob conversation is wrapping up and uh with the wonderful addition uh from jacob to hurley the the something that we i think surely we have not forgotten that jacob is dead and surely the preceding scene or two reminded us that jacob is dead but i I think it's fair to be a bit twisted around in this episode so it's just one more opportunity completely organic and natural um uh exposition for Jacob to say, hey, when Jinn gets here, he won't see me because I'm dead. This is, of course, a callback. Uh, it's a series of callbacks. It's a callback to Hurley seeing dead people, something that we haven't always believed in him and something that we will know most certainly before the, before the series is over, if <laughs> if this Jacob bit was not uh, proof enough for you. Um, on top of that, we it's a callback to Jacob telling Hurley to go to the temple something that we've seen to get help from Jin, who went there with the french team which we've seen and for hurley to bring the guitar case which we've you know you get it at this point anyhow with that the van uh lickety split drives over to the swan pit and i will admit i actually was a bit confused on my rewatch if we actually would see juliet i simply could not remember at any rate I was struck at this point that it was a a curious, odd, tense bit of pacing that over halfway through this hour we still haven't seen her. However, speaking of seeing people, as the story moves to the flash sideways plane, there's a great, wonderful, shocking reveal, perhaps the the greatest reveal of this hour, if if not of both hours. A man in the bathroom, Unconscious, who's only shown by the drive shaft ring and out of focus shots. He's not breathing. Until Charlie comes into view. You can imagine my great joy in seeing Charlie return to the show, albeit after the act break, things aren't looking too well as Charlie isn't breathing, and or I suppose is, has continued to not be breathing, and. In a wonderful and telling moment as to the purgatory-esque nature of the Flash Sideways world, he isn't breathing due to that telltale bag of heroin that he has apparently tried to swallow. Well, alive. Yeah, you're alive. Oh, you know, I have to admit, the first time I saw this episode, I truly assumed that Charlie might die there, if only to kind of tie off this loose, dramatic end, you know, have him come back and then kill him off. Uh, The notion of killing him there works so well after learning of Shannon's absence. Um, It's the feeling for the first time viewers that this isn't a world with very much meaning, uh, Shannon's absence is, then the fact that Charlie lived, the possibilities just, just seem to increase and um, of course, <laughs> that he returns and returns and returns is uh, is a, a treat in and of itself, indeed, that we get to look forward to. With that, the story moves to the Swan Pit, and Sawyer makes his way down. And at this point, the guest actor list just continues to grow. Oh God. Oh God. Come here. Wake up. Oh Hi. Hey. Where are we? Don't worry about that. You're fine. I gotta get you out of here. didn't work. We're still on the island. It's okay. okay. I just gotta get this loose enough to get you out, okay? No, and I hit get the bomb. You... You're still here. You what? You hit the You're going to be okay. I'm going to get you out of here and we're all going to go home. Again. You hear me? It certainly is a touching scene. It's well deserved and I'm reminded of a lot of the the Libby stuff from season 2 where whether they knew it at the time in season 2, uh they you know, that Libby would uh return that that was a thread that they would uh tug at once again. Certainly they're aware of it uh, with Juliet and Sawyer. So this really kind of the dramatic impetus here is to really be setting, oh, I don't know, setting the table for her return, setting the table for just one last reminder of the love that they have and and how that will bring them back together. Anyhow, with that, the story moves back to the van where Jack admits that he can't save Said thus propelling Hurley to uh, head to the temple. Jack is about to question everything, but Hurley, and just this wonderfully, again, this wonderfully telling moment, Hurley turns aside questions about Jacob uh, by asking, does it matter? And with that, Hurley takes control to take care of his people. There we are. Again, You know, Hurley is ascendant, having been called by Jacob. It's not, obvious certainly i don't think that anybody could have uh easily or or fairly predicted that hurley would become the new jacob when such a discussion starts to take place in this season uh but the the little details are there and it's wonderful indeed to see them there with that this obviously very busy story moves back to the temple where bram pushes the shocked ben back into the temple well not just bram of course a few less known guys with guns that uh we've never spent a whole lot of time being worried about these guys that are with him obviously uh planting the seeds of red shirtedness uh and indeed all those guns uh in in a in a moment of foreshadowing uh clearly do not bother smoky lock at all as he tells bram and company that you're free Now listen carefully in a moment, because as the smoky sound appears, Giacchino hits the same pitch. Right there. It's just this wonderful moment, uh, and it's equally wonderful to see Smokey kind of just prepare to rain holy terror on Bram's team, even though it's clear at this point that Bram and company were the good guys. Another really fun, well-earned moment is when Bram protects himself by way of a circle of ash. This, of course, does stop Smokey, however, it's just the moment Smokey smash a which then, in turn, pushes Bram out of the circle, and then, for Bram, it's curtains. It's just... it's. It's a little moment, it's delightful, it's amusing, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I just a intelligence intelligence that can see there, you know, so it's something happening without a lot of intelligence, but it's just, it's a really fun moment. Again, I don't know why we don't feel more for Bram, uh, perhaps because he is a, you know, rather one-dimensional character, we haven't gotten to know him that well. We don't particularly feel sympathies to, you know, Jacob's army, such as this is. Um, so it's all the more fun. Nonetheless, I'm, I'm not complaining that we don't mourn for Bram. Anyhow, uh, the scene then wraps up with what has become obvious, but the show can't seem to help but spell it out. Smokey Locke apologizing to Ben that uh, that he has seen... Uh, Locke or Smokey or whatever moniker you want to give him that that Ben has seen the smoke form of the man in black. How about that? There we go. The message there is, of course, a message for the dullards in the audience. In case you haven't figured it out, Smokey has taken Locke's shape. With that act break, then a scene that feels oddly paced, perhaps if only because if this episode was being viewed as one hour, although, of course, presented with part two, uh, nonetheless, we have Sawyer and friends still being at the SWAN uh, site. Um, it just feels like a story delay at this point. It really feels like things should be moving on. Certainly, there's a great deal of, of story advancement and motion uh, for The Flash Sideways, uh, some excellent Stuff as we just heard happening at the statue. Um it really feels like the story needs to move on. However, it is withholding a bit because first it is Juliet who has to move on. James. moving of course and just as importantly it feeds the thrust of the season in, in wonderful and tragic ways what is left unsaid will be stated later in the season though we don't uh, know it at the time I think the initial implication uh, for first time viewers again you know, the, the, the way that we are initially meant to react to it is that she wants to say that she loves him um that of course opens up its own little mini mystery because in in part two we find out that she says uh, it worked, and, and that uh, that of course is a mystery in and of itself, which uh, which we will discuss next week in uh, in six oh two, but I mean we can certainly briefly discuss it here that this is the moment where um, she is crossing over and where again not knowing the exact. Uh, Nature of the constructed world that they create in the afterlife, uh, and, and not needing to know it. Um, I kind of imagine at this point that as, as her life is fading away, she somehow is fading into wherever she is, uh, or wherever she starts out in that constructed reality. Um, and uh, and uh, I don't know, it's, it, it's a rather positive, it's a rather happy thought, despite her sad death, that if, as she's fading away, there's some sort of realization of coming home to, in whatever sense that is, that 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 she is free, that um, you know, that there's a happy place at the other end of uh, of death. Anyhow, on that <laughs> somber note, Sawyer crawls out with Juliet's body and proceeds to blame Jack, leading to a reaction shot from Kate, who heard him say that uh, Sawyer is going to kill Jack if uh, Juliet dies and attention suitably amped up. We then flash sideways to Charlie being put in cuffs and Jack returning to his seat. There's a wonderful little return of Greg uh, Gunbird's voice as Captain Seth Norris announcing the plane's safe landing, and with that, Giacchino plays the scene. We see highlights, including Saeed looking at Nadia's picture, again all the better that shannon wasn't there to give the return of the love of saeed's life more emphasis later on to give the the absence the notion that you know what that he was he did search for nadia and uh and met her you know after uh, after the crash and was able to be married to her uh and then all the you know all the debate later on What is Sawyer's true love? He spent all this time with Nadia, and certainly something the show is starting to discuss here, but the montage moves through Kate-looking trapped, Jack vaguely relieved, Jim looking at the Rolex, then we see the downward spiral of Charlie, LAPD, coming on board. With that, Charlie is taken away past everyone, though not before the cops are handed his familiar guitar. It's just a wonderful place to end the first hour as everyone starts to disembark, the Marshal and Kate zooming out of there, no baggage, literally anyway, Boone shaking hands with Locke, who, as the scene unfolds, is being humiliatingly helped into a tiny aircraft wheelchair. What do we end with? We end with Terry O'Quinn, having been so triumphant as Smokey Locke for so, so very long. We see him now beaten, and empty, and, as the show concludes, quite fittingly lost. And with that, the first hour of LAX has come to a conclusion. Certainly a wonderful episode, a swirling episode, with all these new, new story bits uh, everywhere. Um, and to, to preview just for a moment where uh, LAX Part 2 will, will head next week, it was a curious experience to watch you know i i i've made the decision for these 2 hour episodes though they're being podcasted as as separate episodes which is you know how they how they exist now uh it, you know i like to watch both of them just to have a sense of of the totality and 602 is a very different episode very different pacing um and perhaps not quite somehow as lofty as this episode uh but certainly something we will discuss further next week first though we'll take a peek at a couple of things from lostpedia not a huge amount of trivia in part because a great deal of it is pushed uh, to the second the second hour to 602 but anyhow here we go first is desmond is seen by jack on the flight but in the original timeline he was on the island working at the swan station well duh. Uh, desmond is wearing a wedding ring though this is a continuity error since in happily ever after he is not wearing one so there you go they also mentioned that Anna Lucia Echo and Libby uh, who were in the tail section were not shown to be on the flight now I actually don't have a problem with this not anything against the characters certainly nothing against the actors yet there is of course that lack of Echo in the church scene because he wouldn't be paid a big pile of money to fly to hawaii and be there for a day or two and uh, have no dialogue uh but i like you know so, so like maybe there's this story fact you know uh what are you going to do with them if they're there just gonna have them in the background they're they're busy people uh maybe it's a financial decision uh you know fly them out why pay them blah 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 i like that there's a story answer though that there, you know this being a different reality um, they're part of that different reality I mean, Anna Lucia and Libby we see eventually, Echo you know, for his own reasons we don't, but they presumably exist out there in this constructed reality but they're not being pulled towards it, the ground zero of the 815 flight which even Desmond is pulled towards even though that's not an original memory uh, you know the it's it's indicative that these people um, existing as real people not as characters that they kind of were on the fringe of it that the most important thing that ever happened to them wasn't necessarily on the island I mean indeed as as is said about Anna Lucia later on she's not ready so why would she be at this life changing moment for them uh, you know these people coming back together on the plane where they first met or the means through which they first met in their lives why would she be back there libby perhaps a slightly different thing i mean we know it'll end up with you know love of her life hurley and all that but she too has had this terribly complex terribly up and down life um you know that she is still conflicted and still in the mental institution in this uh flash sideways reality think is in line with her character similarly with echo though we don't see him i'm content kind of knowing he's out there in some sort of tortured existence maybe he is making the same mistakes uh that he did earlier in life living this awful drug lord existence um now you know kind of free of the the true morality of it because i suppose you I, i don't know what happens when you kill somebody in the flash sideways do they just go to another flash sideways i mean that's it's not it's not the show's place to answer that because it's it's outside the bounds of true reality. But whatever Echo was doing, it's kind of, you know, he's not ready either, and he's so not ready that he kind of doesn't re-enter the sphere of these people. Just as he was so often on the fringe of the entire group, as beloved as a character he was, as interesting a character he was, you know, didn't speak for that whole chunk of days that he was with the Tailies. Um kind of on the wrong side of the whole you know taily fuselage bunch getting back together um you know frequently grumpy etc cetera, etc cetera. frequently not really cohesive with the group so of course he's not going to be cohesive with the group in the afterlife so good job it's an easy casting decision it's a cheap casting decision it's an easy writing decision and it serves the story so excellent excellent and with that that will be our last bit of trivia i see the uh the last little bit i have here is actually something that applies to the uh to the next episode so uh something certainly to save um but what a great start truly uh just a wonderful wonderful start uh there was a comment made uh last night to me on uh on twitter by mighty tim that uh, venerable friend of the podcast uh who saw that uh I was prognosticating that the that this episode, 601, would be the longest yet. And looking at the clock here, we've just passed, what, the minute and uh, 19 second mark. So I do walk back that comment a bit there, Tim. Um, in part because I was so enthralled by the episode, I didn't kind of know where I was in the 601 portion versus 602. But his question was, essentially, so are you enjoying this season six more than you thought you would? And after having seen 601 and discussed it with all of you out there and uh, certainly having seen and taken the notes for 602 you bet this is a great great start to things i'm absolutely interested to see where the the cohesive uh, connection will be for the flash sideways and the uh, the main island story i remember it not sticking particularly well together now is that a result of just the frustration of not knowing how they connected of the grand mystery of the season perhaps uh if there isn't a huge connection and it's just seeing these characters in a different light i'm okay with that too certainly uh that as i said at the top of the podcast that was the function of the flashbacks despite bank robberies and surgeries and drunken dads and winning the lottery. It was always just to know these strangers better, to know their secrets, to know their wants, their dreams, and that's what The Flash Sideways does as well. It's telling, it's kind of their projection of where they would like to be or their projection of the life that they had or didn't quite have and so forth. So with that, I will uh, bid you all a fond adieu, And uh, talk to you all again next week for 602 LAX Part 2. Take care, everybody, and (laughs) bye-bye.